former Marine was sharing a story about uh, his graduating class of officers at Quantico that had happened years and years before, and he was relating the story and said the commandant of the Marine Corps gave the address uh, at the graduation, and he obviously reminded them of their mission, their loyalty to God and country and one another, and he uh, went on and shared some uh, words of wisdom based on his experiences uh, from winning in battle. And so he was sharing some of the experiences and some wisdom about uh, what they needed to think about and wh- how they needed to prepare themselves as they were uh, potentially would be heading into battle. And he said that one of the things that uh, the commandant said stuck out in his mind, stood out to him more than anything else that he shared. He said it was this one statement that he made that stuck with him from that point forward. And he said, the commandant said this, never enter an hour-long battle with 10 minutes worth of ammunition. Now that sounds like a pretty good advice to me, and I'm sure it does to you as well. Prayer offers us an endless supply of ammunition to help us stand firm in our faith in Jesus in the battle of spiritual warfare that we engage in on a day-by-day basis. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 12. We're going to continue in our series on prayer this morning as we continue in our study of this amazing passage written by Luke in Acts chapter 12. We got a fantastic start into this passage last Sunday, so if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go online, our website, and watch or listen to the service from last Sunday, or pick up a CD from last week's service after this service, because that will help provide you with the full background information uh, to what we're going to study and where we're going to continue to move this morning. And so we'll begin in Acts chapter 12. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke wrote these words. About that time, King Herod, who we identified last Sunday as Herod Agrippa I, King Agrippa, about that time, King Agrippa cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. During the days of unleavened bread, after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Now, we shared and identified several points about the power of prayer uh, from this passage last Sunday, so I want to briefly mention those this morning as we continue moving forward into this passage, this fantastic drama that God is going to speak to us through this morning. So we'll hit these real quick. Uh, If you're taking notes, uh, you'll follow along real quick. The first point that we identified is prayer helps us in spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare was a reality for these believers in Jerusalem years and years ago. Prayer, and we know that spiritual warfare is a reality for us today as followers of Jesus Christ. We know that we are members of God's family by God's grace through our faith in Christ. That means God is at work in us. Our enemy Satan is at work on us trying to undo what God is doing in us, around us, and through us. Prayer helps us in spiritual warfare. Prayer is a powerful weapon for us in the battle of spiritual warfare. The second point, a church that prays together stays together. These believers were united together in prayer for Peter. 
Prayer unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Prayer needs to be our first resource, not our last resort. Though we may be separated from one another physically, as the church was from Peter due to the prison, we are never separated from one another prayerfully as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And as the church prays together, it stays together. As we pray together, we stay together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Third point, prayer allows us to see God work. As these believers prayed, they were in perfect position to see God work in Peter's life and to watch God answer their prayers for Peter. And prayer positions us perfectly to watch God do what only he can do. As we present our requests to God, as we cast our cares on God, we are then in a perfect position to watch God work in our lives, to watch God answer our prayers according to his will for us, which is, as we know, best for us. The fourth point that we saw was prayer helps us sleep. We see in verse 6, Luke wrote, on the night before King Agrippa was to bring him out for execution, so we know the purpose of the prison was for execution of Peter. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. So let's make sure we understand the scene. King Agrippa was scheming. The guards were guarding. The crowd was waiting. The church was praying. And Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping because Peter was a man of prayer. Peter knew God was with him. God was watching over him. God was at work in him. We covered that last week and made it clear as we looked through the book of Acts. And even as you further look through the Gospels, Peter was a man of prayer. Peter knew about prayer. And Peter understood the power of prayer. And we know as well today, prayer helps us sleep. Why? Because prayer fills us with God's peace, which helps us to sleep in the storms and tests and trials and difficulties of life. Peter was giving us a perfect example of that here in this passage, as he was sleeping the night before his execution. So let's now continue in this fantastic drama. We'll pick up now in verse 7, And Luke is continuing this amazing drama. And he says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get up. Then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed. And he did not know that what took place through the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. So what do we know so far here in this passage? Well, we know Peter was sleeping hard. We know he was really sleeping because... Luke tells us that the light that was surrounding the angel, which shone in the cell when the angel appeared in the cell, did not wake Peter up. We know that Scripture tells us that the angel woke Peter up physically by striking him on the side. He shook him. He patted him on the side to, to wake him up. 
we also know God supernaturally sent his angel to get Peter out of prison. God supernaturally caused the chains that were on Peter's wrists that were tying him to the soldier on each side of him. He supernaturally caused the chains to fall off. We know God supernaturally allowed the angel to assist Peter in his escape. We know that God supernaturally led the angel and Peter past the first and second guards. God supernaturally opened the iron gate into the city of Jerusalem for the angel and Peter. God supernaturally kept the soldiers and all those in the prison asleep during the escape. God supernaturally then took the angel away from Peter. And we know God supernaturally answered the prayers of the believers who were praying earnestly for Peter in Mary's house. God's glory seen all throughout those verses that we just read. I love what Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher and author, years and years ago said. He said, the angel fetched Peter from prison, but prayer fetched the angel. And we see that the angel came and rescued Peter from prison. And now we find in this passage, as we finished in verse 10, that notice Peter is standing now in the street in the middle of the night by himself. I mean, he's the iron gate open, they pass through, the angel left, and he's standing there in the middle of the street, in the middle of the night, all alone by himself. And, and it's interesting, Luke said that Peter didn't realize what had happened was real. He thought he was seeing a vision from the Lord. Peter thought he was dreaming. He thought he was seeing a vision from God. Though half asleep, Peter still did exactly what the angel said to do. Peter obeyed the angel's directions. Peter did what the angel asked him to do when the angel asked him to do it. Amazing scene unfolding here. And then we read in verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. I love how Luke shared that with us. Then Peter came to himself. What does that mean? It means Peter came to his senses. It means Peter woke up. Peter woke up. He was standing in the street by himself. He woke up and he realized, wow, okay, I get it now. God really truly did send his angel to rescue me from prison again. Because we know, based on our sending of Acts chapter 5, God had already done this with Peter once. And so now, Peter's standing there in the middle of the street, and he realizes, wow, my God did it again. He has released me from prison. And so we see the fifth point here in this passage, and that is simply this. God always has the last word. God always has the last word. No matter what others may think or say or try to do to us or against us, God always has the last word with us. God always has the last word with us. Think with me. The crowd that stoned Stephen thought they had the last word, but they were wrong because Stephen opened his eyes in heaven the very next moment. The King Agrippa, who 
had James executed, thought he had the last word with James, but he was wrong because James opened his eyes in heaven the very next moment as well. King Agrippa thought he had the last word with Peter in prison, but he was wrong. God sent his angel to rescue Peter from prison. Satan thought he had the last word when Jesus died on the cross in our place, paying the price for our sins, but he was wrong because God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. Amen? And so we know and understand God's plans and God's purposes always prevail because God is the almighty God. There is no one or nothing greater than our God. As Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 30 and 31, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel will prevail against the Lord. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. Say that with me. But victory comes from the Lord. And so we see this victory taking place once again as Peter is released uh, from prison by the angel. And so we understand and realize God always has the last word with us. And God's last word with us, his answers to our prayers are always best for us. So let's look now at four points about God's last word with us. I want you to see four points about God's last word with us. We see them right here in this passage, and they're true in our lives as well. As we look at these points, understand and remember these points are meant to be applied in our lives as God teaches us and as he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit through the teaching of his word. He wants us to apply his points in our lives. And so we see the first point is God's last word is always on time. God's last word is always on time. Listen, God's answers to our prayers are never early. They're never late. They're always on time. His time, not our time. His time, not our time. Notice in this story, God waited until the last night of Passover week, the last night of the days of unleavened bread, the last night of the week, hours before the morning was to dawn in Jerusalem. Just hours before the week would have passed and the execution was going to take place, God waited to just hours before the dawning of that morning at the end of Passover week to rescue Peter from prison which allowed the church at that point to draw near to God. It gave the church time to cry out to God in prayer for Peter. Understand, we must remind ourselves, based upon the truth of God's word, and we know based on our experiences in our lives, God always has a purpose for us when he asks us to wait for his answers to prayer. God always has a purpose for us when he asks us to wait for his answers to prayer. Our problem is we hate to wait for God's answers. That's our problem. We're impatient. We hate to wait for God's answers. And at times, because we hate to wait for God's answers, we'll take matters in our own hands and we'll try to take care of the situation that we understand and realize we can't take care of. And that's why we're praying in the first place. And so we must always remind ourselves that there's a purpose, that God has a plan for us as he asks us to wait for his answers to our prayers. And what God wants for us is to draw near to him. God wants us to depend on him. God wants us to cry out to him in prayer. God wants us to grow in our faith in him. God wants us to unite with our brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship together as we wait on God to answer our prayers. God wants us to walk in obedience to him. God wants us to continue worshiping him. God wants us to continue sharing him with others. God wants us to continue doing all that he's asked us to do in his word as we wait for him him to answer our prayers. And we continue to wait. 
and we wait. Why? Because we know God's answers are best. We know God's timing is best. And so we wait for his answers. As difficult as it may be, we continue to wait for his answers. Why? Because God's last word is always on time. God's last word is always on time for you and for me. His answers to prayer are always right when we need the answer most. His timing is impeccable. The second truth we see is God's last word is also for our good. God's last word is for our good. Follow me now. God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. As Paul told us in Romans chapter 12, God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. So we know God's answers to our prayers are good, pleasing, and perfect because God answers our prayers according to his will for us. And so we know and understand that God's last word, when God moves in our lives, when we're seeking God through prayer and he answers our prayers, we know that his answers are always on time and we know that his answers are always for our good. God rescued Peter from prison because he still had work to do with Peter. And so as we see in this passage, I want to make two observations. Number one, Peter was dependent on God. Peter was dependent on God in this situation. It's very clear. It's obvious. We see this. Peter was helpless. Peter was powerless. He had no power to do anything to help himself or to change his circumstance. Peter had no power in and of himself to escape from the prison in which he was placed. He was powerless. He was totally, completely, and utterly dependent upon God. His power was out. There's nothing there. Now, for just a moment, follow me, as we see uh, this at play in our lives and in the Word of God, and we certainly see it in the testimony example of Peter, we all have different types of power. Each one of us, God has allowed and blessed us with different types of power. There is emotional power. We have the power to feel. We have the power to understand and express our emotions. We all have emotional power. Uh, The power to feel things and to understand and to express and to share our emotions. We have intellectual power. We all have the power to think, to learn to retain information, to gain knowledge, uh, and hopefully and prayerfully then to put that information and knowledge to work in our lives. We all have emotional power and intellectual power. We all have physical power. We all have the power to to do. We have the power to uh, move. We have the power uh, to do things such as eating. We have the power to uh, hold things. We have the power to lift things. We have the power to stand. We have the power to walk. We have the power to move. We have the power to lift our limbs. We, we all have physical power in some measure. And we also all have relational power. We have the power to relate to one another. And we have the power to communicate with one another. Uh, and to develop relationships and friendships with one another and those around us. Now, follow me. Some of us have more power in these areas than others. Some have more power 
in these four areas than others. Some of these powers increase with age. Some of these powers decrease with age. The problem is this. These types of power are not enough for us because they're limited by us. These types of power, as real as they are, are not enough for us because they're limited by us. Peter knew he was powerless. Peter knew that his power sources in and of himself were on empty and he didn't even try to escape. Didn't even try. He knew he was powerless. And so he trusted God and he slept. Peter knew that he did not have enough physical power to break the chains off and to get through 16 different soldiers to make his way out. Peter knew his physical power. Now, Peter knew he didn't have enough intellectual power to come up with some kind of plan that would allow him to break the chains and get around all the guards who were there watching him without them seeing it. Peter knew that he didn't have enough emotional power. There's no way he could play on the emotions of these guys. He knew that there was no way he could try to coerce or convince them uh, because of their love for him to allow him to get out and to go visit someone for one last time. Peter also knew that he didn't have enough relational power. There's no way that he could rely on the relationships that he may have developed with the soldiers during the time he was there prison that would allow them to be willing to allow him to escape he was powerless he was powerless and as much physical power as we have there's always a limit to our physical power as much intellectual power as we may have and we may have quite a bit there's always a limit to our intellectual power because we're not ever going to be able to know everything in this world as long as much emotional power as we have and many have great emotional power there's always a limit to the emotional power that we have because we can only know someone we can only know our feelings to a certain extent and then we are limited in that and there's only so much relational power that we can have there's only so much that we can do in attempting to relate to others or to understand others or communicate with others you see, there are going to be times in our lives where we face circumstances, issues, people, and problems in which our power is not enough. Our power is not enough. It's not going to be able to help us. It's not going to be able to save us. It's not going to be able to change what's going on. It's not going to be able to change our circumstance. It's not going to be able to change our situation. It's not going to be able to change this other person. We will face circumstances, issues, people, and problems in which our power will run out. And one of the great challenges that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus is we fail too often to give up. Instead, what we oftentimes do when we face those circumstances, issues, people, and problems, we continue to try to rely on our intellectual, emotional, relational, or physical power to get us out of the situation, to change the situation, to change the other person. And when we rely on our power in those times, we get frustrated, we get fatigued because we will fail because we can't do it. Our power is not enough. And when we face those circumstances, issues, people, and problems, when we face these times and we face these times every day throughout the day, what we need is what Peter needed. What we need is what Peter needed. And what Peter needed was spiritual power. You see, there is a fifth power and it's spiritual power. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the power of the almighty living God living and dwelling in us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit of God who has taken residence in our lives. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives and it is alive in you and in me. Jesus told us, but you will receive 
receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul told Timothy, for, you have not, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness or timidity, but one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Jesus told us, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is perfected in your weakness. And so God knows that we are going to face circumstances, issues, people, and problems on a day-by-day basis that are too much for us, that our power is insufficient for the day, that we are going to be completely helpless and powerless. And he says, in those times, Almighty God says, my grace and my power is sufficient for you. You see, my grace and my power is more than enough for you. And I will give you my grace and my power generously as you depend on me, as you trust in me, as you surrender to me, as you rely on me, as you wait on me. That's exactly what Peter was doing. He had surrendered to God. He understood and realized his power is not enough. God's power, more than enough. He was sleeping. And he was able to see the power of God at work in his life, in this circumstance. Now, the question is, how do we access this power of God that lives in us? How do we access this power? By prayer. By obedience to God's word. By walking by faith, not by sight. By living our lives for Jesus Christ day by day, by day, by acknowledging that our power is not enough and by recognizing that his power is more than enough and by simply surrendering our lives to the Lord day by day, step by step, knowing that as we do, we walk in his strength, not ours. We walk in his power, not ours. We walk with his wisdom, not ours. And we get a front row seat to watching God do his work in and through and around our lives. Peter was dependent on God. And God desires each of us once again, fresh and new this morning, to acknowledge our dependence on God. The second observation is Peter was delivered by God. As Peter depended on God, as he depended on God, he slept the night before his execution. As Peter depended on God, he was delivered by God from prison. And as we depend on God... We will be delivered by God for our good. Again, God's last word is always for our good. So as we depend on God, we'll be delivered by God in whatever the circumstance, issue, challenge may be, and it will always be delivered by God and it will always be for our good. Because we know God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so we see here as well, just a quick side note, Peter's dependence on God for his escape from prison. Peter's dependence on God in prison for his escape is an illustration of our dependence upon God for our salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Just as Peter was powerless for his escape, so we are powerless for salvation. And just as Peter depended on God for his escape, so we depend on God for our salvation. We understand and realize that it is Almighty God who has called us out of the darkness of sin, and it is Almighty God who has called us into the marvelous light of His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so God's last word with us, His answers to prayer 
for us are always on time. They're always for our good. And then we also see God's last word is always for others' gain. God rescued Peter from prison in part because he wanted to bless, encourage, and grow the believers in Jerusalem and their faith in Jesus. So this gets us back to another point we've shared oftentimes, and that is simply this. God's work in us is for us, but God's work in us is also for those around us. God's work in Peter's life was for Peter, but God's work in Peter's life was for those that God was going to place around Peter. And we see this all throughout our lives, day by day, uh, minute by minute. God's work in our lives is always first and foremost for us, but God's work in our lives is also for those he places around us who he calls us to minister to on a day-by-day basis. And so we pick back up uh, with this amazing story and uh, we see in verse 12, when he realized this, when Peter realized this, that means when he came to his senses, when he woke up, he's sitting in the middle of the street, he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. So here's what's happening. Peter's standing in the middle of the street, middle of the night, by himself. He realizes, whoa, okay, this is what's happened. I understand I'm free now. So he makes his way to Mary's house. Many of the believers, Luke said, many believers were praying. Many of the believers, that means many of the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus in the church in Jerusalem had assembled and they were praying at Mary's house. Mary was the mother of John Mark. We know that Mary had a large enough house that the house served as a secondary location uh, for meetings for the first church in Jerusalem. For the purposes of this passage, it was serving as a prayer meeting spot for Peter, because that's where all the people had gathered to pray. John Mark was a Jew. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. John Mark was the author of the Gospel of Mark. John Mark was a traveling companion to Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. Later in life, John Mark became a close friend and ministry partner with Paul. And so we continue and read. In verse 13, he knocked at the door, this is Peter, he knocked at the door in the gateway, in the gateway, which gives you an idea that this this house is a fairly sizable house, in the hallway, in the gateway leading away from the house, leading to the house, he knocked at the door in the gateway and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. Now, come on, you got to see the humor in this. Anyone who says God does not have a sense of humor does not understand and truly know our God. He has an amazing sense of humor. What a story. What a scene. Peter is alone by himself. He makes it to the house. He starts knocking on the door. Again, he's a free man. He's an escapee. He's knocking on the door. And Rhoda hears the knock, leaves the prayer meeting, goes to the door. Who is it? Peter says, it's me. It's Peter. She is so overjoyed. She is so elated that she turns and she runs back in to the prayer meeting and says, Peter's here, Peter's here, Peter's here. She failed to open the door for Peter. It was easier for Peter to get out of prison than it was for him to get into the prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting was for him. It was easier to get out of prison. Now, you got to think with me, and I think this way is 
study the word, I, I start thinking and trying to put myself in everybody's position. What about old Peter? I mean, what must he have been thinking at this point? You got to be kidding me. I just got out of prison. I made my way to the house. It sounds like there's a bunch of people in the house. They won't answer the door. I can't get inside. He's probably checking to see if anybody knew what was going on, if they'd started the, the hunt for him. Unbelievable. What a story. In verse 15, it gets even better. Verse 15, you're crazy, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, it's his angel. So what do we see happen? Rhoda sprints back in to the prayer meeting. And she's like, Peter's here, Peter's here. He's standing outside of the door. And they said, you're crazy. You're crazy. No, 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 really, he's here, he's here. I just talked to him. He's outside the door. He was knocking on the door. You're crazy. What do we find here? Well, it's a, it's a real clear picture. The church that was praying to God wasn't believing in God. The church that was praying to God, they really weren't believing in God. They're in there praying for God to have his way and will with Peter, to rescue Peter. They were crying out to God in prayer for hours. And yet, in those prayers, during that time, they truly weren't believing God would answer their prayer. And they told Rhoda, she's crazy, said it must be his angel, which meant that it was either the guardian angel that they believed that each Christ follower had, and they were thinking that it was his guardian angel, or they were thinking that Peter was actually martyred for his faith, that he had actually been executed by King Agrippa, which is what King Agrippa was planning, and that it was his spirit that was at the door. So they just completely dismissed Rhoda. And then we continue in verse 16. Peter, however, kept on knocking. I bet he did. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Mentioning, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Again, keep it down. He explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. The believers were astounded at God's answer to prayer. The believers were also blessed by God's answer to prayer. As I read this passage, I think to myself, how often are we just like these believers? We pray and we pray and then we're blown away when God decides to answer our prayer. As if that should shock us. God has told us, call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and wondrous things you do not know. God has told us, if you keep asking, searching and knocking, I'll keep answering and I'll keep opening and you'll keep finding. God has told us he will answer our prayers according to his will for us, which is best for us, which is why he taught us over and over throughout his word to pray for his will to be done in our lives. And yet so often we pray to God, but we really don't believe that God will answer our prayer. And yet he answers our prayer according to his will over and over and over again. Notice Peter said, report these things to James. James. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at this time in the history's church. James had taken the leadership role Peter was getting ready to go and he was going to spread out and to preach and teach. It was James. 
who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He said, report these things to James and the brothers. Report these things to James and the brothers and sisters in Christ that were not able to be here with you guys tonight. Those in the church that didn't join you tonight, that weren't able to join you tonight, make sure that as I share with you what God's done for me, you share with them what God did for me. Why was Peter so insistent on encouraging them to share with James and the brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't here the news of what God had done? The reason is that Peter knew that the news of what God had done in his life would encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus and their faith in Christ. And Peter understood and knew how important, how important encouragement is to the body of Christ. Peter also understood that God's last word, his answers to prayer, his work in our lives is on time. It's for our good, but it's also always for others' gain. And he was thinking, Peter was thinking of all those who were there that heard, he knew they were astounded. He knew they were blessed. He knew they were encouraged. But his thought immediately went to those who weren't. Get the word to them. I got to continue. I got to continue ministering as God's leading me. Make sure you encourage them. This encouragement is so important for us. What does this mean? It means this. When God answers your prayers, when God moves in your life, when God shows up and shows off in your relationships, in your life, in some way, you gotta share. You gotta share. We need to know. We need to know. Why do we need to know? Because we're in the battle. And we're with you, and we're beside you, we're fighting, we're praying, and we're trusting, and we're struggling. We're battling discouragement. We're battling fear. We're battling worry and anxiety, and we desperately need to know. We need to know. You got to share the victories. Because that victory isn't just for you, for me. It's for us. It's for us. And then we see God's last word is always for his glory. His last word is always for his glory. I want you to see, notice, Notice verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Peter explained to them how the Lord, say that with me, how the Lord, again, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Peter understood he was powerless, but God was powerful. And Peter gave all the glory and praise and honor to Almighty God. Peter made sure everyone knew I had nothing, God had everything. I did nothing, 
God did everything. I was sleeping. God woke me up. I was prepared to meet my Savior, but God had other plans for me. And he gave all the honor and glory to the Lord God Almighty. And the good news is, everyone in the church, they all knew. They weren't confused. God was the one who had once again done his amazing work. Now, as we continue reading, if you finish it off, what happens? Well, King Agrippa had all 16 soldiers executed for losing track of Peter. He left Jerusalem and he went to Caesarea. And he stayed in Caesarea, which was there on the Mediterranean Sea, the coast, the coastal city. And later on, as you keep reading, King Agrippa stood and he gave an address. He made a speech. And as he gave the address, a large throng of the citizens were there listening to him. And as King Agrippa was giving the speech, the crowd began chanting and screaming and shouting, this is the voice of a God. This is the voice of a God. They began acclaiming King Agrippa as a God. And King Agrippa received their praise. He did not reject their praise. He did not point them to the Almighty God worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He received the praise. He soaked it in. His arrogance and his pride was revealed for all to see. And the scripture said, immediately the Lord saw. The Lord knew. King Agrippa, believe it or not, was infected with worms, and he died a few days later, a very painful death. And Luke finished by saying these words in verse 24. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. God always has the last word. His message flourished and multiplied. And the good news for you and me today is God's message is still flourishing and multiplying today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's message is flourishing and multiplying today. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified, for it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. God's message is flourishing and multiplying today. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved in the name of the risen and exalted Savior Jesus. God's message is flourishing and multiplying today. For those who received him, those who believed in his name, God gave them the right to become children of God. God's message is flourishing and multiplying today. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called sons of God and daughters of God, children of God, and that is exactly what we are. The reason the world does not know us is the world does not know him. God's message is flourishing and multiplying today, and we are in the drama. We're in the story. It's our turn right now. Prayer allows us to play a part in spreading God's message. Prayer allows us to play a part in blessing God's people. Prayer allows us to play a part in proclaiming God's glory 
prayer allows us to play a part in God's work, in God's world, for God's glory. The message is the same from age to age. Prayer works. So let's pray. Let me ask you to bow in prayer.